Well, good morning, Chestnut Mountain, and I want to just want to start out by saying Happy Easter. Um, I know Easter looks a lot different this year in 2020 than it ever has before, but I guess we can all agree that there's a lot of things that look a lot different. Um, you know, in 2020, we all started out with probably New Year's resolutions, a lot of high hopes and a lot of maybe different dreams and a lot of calendar fillings, if you would, because we wanted the things to happen and take place in 2020. And, you know, our team here at Chestnut Mountain, our staff, uh, we were kind of in the same way. We met last October, November, and we began to plan out our year for 2020. But obviously things are looking a lot different than they did. Um, but the Lord spoke something to me um, back in the fall of last year to challenge our staff. And he also challenged me with it that in 2020, what we were going to do is we were going to clean our calendar off meaning that we were going to do nothing in 2020 that we did in, in 2019 um, if it was not what God was leading us to do. Because if we're not careful, we get caught up in doing things just out of tradition. We get caught up of doing things just because it's what we did last year. And one thing that the Lord spoke to me is the purpose in that was I would much rather myself, I would much rather our team be seeking God's direction and planning a calendar based off of what his direction is rather than the tradition and the events that we've always done. But I guess, needless to say, I, I didn't have this in mind. I never thought in a million years that 2020, our Easter service would look like it does today because God cleared our calendar for us. He cleared all the events for us. And so, you know, there's two times a year that it's very easy for a church um, to get caught up in tradition. Um, one time is Christmas, and the other time is, yes, you guessed it, is Easter. We get caught up in doing things because it's what we've always done, or, or maybe it's what our community expects, or maybe it's what our culture expects. So we fill our calendar with the expectations of hoping that people will be drawn to the events that we are doing and many times that has little to do with, with God's direction, with what God has laid on our hearts to do because we quickly follow cultural standards or we quickly jump in to, to, the, to the rut of doing things just because it's appealing to people. And, you know, we get caught up in trying to impress people with our events. We get caught up in trying to impress people with maybe it's drama productions or, or, or maybe it's musicals. Or what's interesting is the church actually, and when I'm talking the church now, I'm talking about Chestnut Mountain, how we'll even compete with ourselves. We think that we have to do something to sort of outdo what we did last year. And we, we set the standard higher because we think that we've got to surpass what we've offered in the past. And so it's almost an unnecessary weight that we carry. Because if you think about it, how in the world can we make Christmas, the birth of our Lord and Savior, any more special than that is in and of itself? And then not to mention when it comes to the cross, when it comes to the crucifixion, when it comes to the resurrection, how in the world do we think we have the ability to make it more dynamic than that already is? And so where we have to be careful, church, is that our strategy never becomes greater than the gospel itself, or we never try to draw attention to our strategies and take the attention off of the gospel. And that is the very thing that is taking place in Corinth. They are, they are very caught up 
um, in, in tradition. They're very caught up in, in being fancy. They're very caught up in being eloquent. And, and that's the very thing that Paul is going to address. Um, maybe you've not been tuning in with us here at Chestnut Mountain, but we've started reading through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so we're just picking up today in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this is what Paul's going to be addressing because, see, the, the culture in Corinth was there was a lot of emphasis put on eloquent speaking, eloquent production, eloquent wisdom. And matter of fact, what they did for entertainment was they would go to plays and they would go to performances and they were going to, tr to try to be impressed where they were hearing people articulate all these beautiful words and all of these, these dramas that were going to leave them speechless and leave them wanting to come back for more the next year. But they were being drawn to the performance of people. And that's where we have to be careful that that's not our heart here. That's not our purpose of this Easter Sunday. Because honestly, our culture, they really expect the same thing that Corinth was expecting. A lot of people come to churches. A lot of people go to church events and what they're doing is they're, they're looking to be impressed or they're looking to be drawn to a position where they want to come back the next year to see what the church offers. But look this year. Everything has been cleaned out, if you would. There's no egg hunts. There's no dramas. There's no musical performances, if you would. And there's another one I would venture to say that there's very few Easter outfits because I guarantee if you go on your Instagram or you scroll back through your pictures in 2019 and you look at your family photos, if you were to take a family photo right there where you are right now in this moment, it looks a lot different than it did this time last year. Because I would encourage you, why don't you just turn and take your phone right now and, and take a selfie? or take a family photo and post it on Instagram right where you're at. I promise you, many of us would be embarrassed because you're, you probably not have on your suit and tie. You don't have on your, your Easter dresses. You probably have on pajamas. Um, there's no telling what some of you are wearing, but you would be absolutely humiliated if our world saw what you were wearing. So from that perspective, Easter looks a lot different this year. Your outfits look a lot different this year. Now, I want you to understand this. I'm not saying that, that Easter services, that Christmas productions, um, that Christmas outfits, I'm not saying that all these things are of the devil. But what I do want you to understand is where we must be careful is that all of our focus does not go on these external things that really, do they matter? When the truth is, is the only thing that matters is the reason that we celebrate this resurrection day it's because of Jesus Christ. And if our focus is on all of these other things, our focus is not on him. And so church, that's what we're going to be doing today. And, and Paul knows that this is the tendency of, of what's going on in Corinth. He knows that they're drawn and their focus is on entertainment. Their focus is on events. Their focus is on eloquent speech. And I love how he starts out. He says, look, y'all, <laughs> I'm not about all that. I'm not about all of that. And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to flip with me today in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to start in chapter 2. And Paul addresses this very thing. 
I'm not going to read all of verse 1 here. We're going to stop kind of in the middle of it, and then we'll pick it up in just a moment. But Paul starts out in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come to you with superiority of speech or of wisdom. Paul says right here very quickly, he says, I'm not coming to you today bringing you what you're looking for. I'm not coming to you today in some way to try to impress you. I'm not coming to you today to try to leave you wanting to come back for more. That's not what I'm asking you to be drawn to today. And this is almost his disclaimer. He's almost saying, look, I don't know if you came to be impressed today, but you're probably not going to be impressed with me. I'm not going to speak eloquent enough. I'm not going to have the, all of the wisdom that you're probably searching for. So he's saying, look, I just don't want to disappoint you because I'm not bringing you today what you're looking for. And then he goes on to tell, I'm not going to do this, but here's what I am going to do. Pick up with me in verse one again. He says, but I'm proclaiming to you the testimony of God. In verse two, he says, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Basically, Paul tells him, he says, look, I don't know what you came looking for today, but here's what I'm going to share with you. I'm just going to share with you God's story. I'm going to share with you this story of God. And what I find interesting is I wonder even if Paul was tempted to entertain them. Did, was Paul tempted to try to appeal to them? Did he try to do things that were going to leave them being drawn to him? Because I believe he did because he, he made a conscious effort. If you saw how verse 2 started, he said, For I determined to know nothing, meaning that he made up his mind. He said, No matter how much my flesh is going to want to appeal to you today, I'm making up my mind that the only thing I'm going to talk about, the only thing that I'm going to bring attention to is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And you know, church, that's our heart today. You know, that's our heart today because our team and our staff here at Chestnut Mountain, we, we gathered months ago and we began to plan out Easter. We began to plan out all the, the services, all of the egg hunts, and we began to brainstorm. But then COVID-19 shows up and a lot of that had to change. And so as some of the restrictions begin to be put in place by our government, we begin to have to change our calendar. We begin to have to make, make changes to the events that we had on the calendar. And so it's like every time we would make an adaptation, we would make an adjustment, another restriction would come out that caused us to, to make another change, to make another adjustment. And so here we are today. We're in a very casual setting. I'm sitting on a couch. You're at home in the bed on the couch. And COVID-19 has caused us to be here. And so what we've had to do today is we've had to be determined. We've had to make up our mind that today is about nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so we're going to simply have a conversation over the next couple of minutes a conversation about Christ and the cross. A very simple conversation. And, and look, here's my disclaimer. My disclaimer right now in this moment is that I'm not coming to you to try to impress you with some eloquent speech. You're not going to be, you're not going to be impressed with my speech. 
That is a disclaimer. So if that's what you're looking for, then you may want to log off now. You may want to check somebody else out because I'm not going to impress you with my speech. But what I am going to tell you about is the story of God, the God who created man and woman for a perfect relationship with him. They, he created them in, in perfect unison with him where they walked in unity. But then man and woman gave in to their fleshly desires. They gave in to the lust of their flesh and they chose to satisfy their flesh instead of listening and obeying the commandment that was put in place by God. And in that moment of them choosing their flesh, sin was birthed. But not only was sin birthed in a perfect world, but the eternal relationship between man and woman and God was severed. Because you see, God in His holiness and His righteousness, He cannot associate with imperfection because He is pure, He is holy, He is perfect. And so when sin was birthed, that relationship was severed. And so from that point moving forward, what we read all throughout the Scriptures is the Old Testament, we hear story after story of man's attempt to somehow try to work their way back to God to sort of earn God's love back, to follow a set of rules, to try to accomplish perfection. And what we know is that because of the sinful nature of man, perfection was an impossibility. So after man and woman's completely failed attempt, complete failed attempt to, to reconcile their perfection back to God, they failed over and over and over because of sin because they're imperfect people just like you and I. And so I think we can all relate to this imperfection. I think we can all relate to, to not being perfect. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty perfect. Well, I would encourage you to turn and ask your spouse right quick if you're perfect. They will let you know all the blemishes. They will let you know all of your imperfections, and it will humble you very quickly. So if, if you're one of those people that think, yes, I'm perfect, turn and ask the person on your right or your left, and they'll let you know very quickly that that's not the case. So after God recognized that, that man and woman were continuing to fail, he then does the unimaginable. He did now the unthinkable. Because you see, God's law that was put in place Sin had to be punished by death. And so there was a price that must be paid for the sin of Adam and Eve. There's a price that must be paid for your sin. There's a price that must be paid for my sin. And so God sent a substitute. I know back in the day when I coached basketball and football, um, obviously we always had a victory in mind. We always wanted to win. And if there were certain players on the field or the basketball court that, that weren't getting the job done, my job as a coach was to put in a substitute who could accomplish the job so that victory could be achieved. And you see, God noticed, God recognized that man was not the right call, that man could not achieve perfection. So he, hit, he sent a substitute. And the substitute that he sent was his own son, Jesus Christ. But you know, the victory that God was wanting to achieve through the life of his son was for you and it was for me. It was so that we could be reconciled and made right with him again by, yes, a life of perfection that his son was going to live, but also the sin of you, the sin of mine, was going to have to be punished. And he was going to allow his, his son to step in 
and be the substitute for that punishment and take on that punishment. But as he sent his son, his son didn't necessarily meet the cultural standards. This was the savior of the world. This was the Messiah that people were looking for. However, he didn't match up or didn't line up to the way they thought he should look. He didn't arrive the way they thought he should arrive. He didn't, he didn't arrive on, on a throne. He didn't arrive. He, 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 he was birthed in a manger. <laughs> he was birthed in a dirty stable. And so he did not appear victorious. He didn't appear powerful. And so because he didn't meet up to the cultural standards, they didn't accept that this was the Messiah. They didn't accept that this was the one. And then he began his ministry. He began to claim to be the son of God. He began to be the one who came to take away the sin of the world. He, he claimed to come and rescue the lost. And because he didn't look the way they thought he should look, they called him a blasphemer. They called him a liar. And this is what sent him to the cross where he would ultimately pay for the punishment, pay the price that was yours and the price that was mine. And so he was ultimately paying for something that we owed. And so I just simply want to talk to you for just a couple of minutes from the scripture. Look, I'm not press, I'm trying to impress with you with, with eloquent speech. I'm just going to simply read to you what the word of God says about this Savior named Jesus. But I want to do it in a way that may be a little uncomfortable. And if you've known me for very long, you know that I'm okay with making people uncomfortable at times. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to be reading scripture, but I want you in just a moment when I tell you to, I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. Moms and dads, maybe you try to quiet your kids for a few minutes and, and ask them to participate. And husband and wife, I, I want you to understand this is not necessarily a, a couple thing. This is a personal thing. And I want you to examine your mind and I want you to try to picture this Savior and the love and all the compassion that he had for you and that he had for me. And so I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes. And I just want you to try to picture this suffering servant that I want to read to you about. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 2, it says, for he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. You see, this is talking about a, a little boy that was born just like you were born, just like I was born. But the Bible says, I love how it described him. It says that he was like a root in parched ground. What that means is he was born to bring life. He was born to bring love. And this was a little boy. I just pictured that he, he loved people. Can you just see him running all around the city, loving, hugging, telling people he loves them? Because this is what he was sent to do. He was sent to save them. He was sent to love them. And then it goes on to say that this very boy, this very one that loved people, it says that he was despised and forsaken by men. These very people that he came to love, he was forsaken by them. And then it goes on to say, but 
He was pierced through for our transgression or for our sin, meaning that literally had a spear driven in a sword as he hung on the cross, as he was being punished for being a liar, as they would label him. And then it says that he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for us, our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourgings, we are healed. The scourgings that it is talking about, if you're familiar with it, is where he was being whipped. He was being whipped with strips of leather that had shard glass and metal on the ends of them that were sticking to him and literally ripping the flesh away from his bones. But it says because of that, because of those scourgings, you have the ability to be healed. I have the ability to be healed. And that's something that he did for us. But all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. All of our sin has fell on this Savior. Fell on this man who loves, who serves. And he was oppressed by the afflicted. But yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not even open his mouth. You see him being the savior of the world at any moment, he could have spoke and stopped it all. But he chose to be quiet because of his love for you and his love for me. And then we read on down and it says, because he poured out himself to death, and was numbered with our transgression. Yet he himself bore the sin of many, and he interceded for the transgressors. You see what it's meaning there when it says that he interceded for the transgressors. I want you to open your eyes, and I want you to think right now with me. He took our place, and he paid our price. So once the punishment and the death took place you realize that Jesus was absorbing it all he was absorbing the punishment he was absorbing the wrath of God so that you wouldn't have to but what's interesting in that Isaiah 53 it says that it pleased the father it says that it pleased the father to crush him I don't know about you but that's foreign to me because It says that he pleased the father to crush him. And what that means is the father's love for you and I was so great that he knew that the crushing of his son was giving us an opportunity to be reconciled back to him. That's how much this father loved you. Look, I love you, but there's no way that I'm going to watch my son be crushed on your behalf. There's no way that I'm going to watch my children be crushed on your behalf and be murdered on your behalf. I love my children too much. And so as we think about that, as the the death is accomplished and Jesus dies, what was the reaction of the followers? On day one, they watched their Savior give his life. They watched him die. And nothing, he did nothing in response. So were they scratching their head and going, you know what, this may not be the Savior. He's not responding the way that we thought he should. 
because we know that he had the ability to come off the cross. But then you step into day two. He's still dead and nothing. You know, when we read in the Gospel of Luke chapter 23, we see that it was, it was the Sabbath day. And what that meant was that this day before Easter, if you would, they were all at home. They were all not working. All of the families were together. Probably very similar to what we're experiencing right now as families. We're all in our home. We're not at work. And so you have to ask the question, is this the closest thing to Easter that we've really ever experienced? Because here it was the day before the resurrection and everybody's at home wondering, what, what's going to happen next? What does tomorrow look like? There were no events very much like there's no events right now. There's no egg hunts. There's not a lot of, there's no multiple services going on. There's no musical performances, there's no dramas, there's no skits. It's just you at home with your family. And so in this silence of this Easter, it may seem that all of life has stopped. It may seem that everything has come to a pause. But church, what I want to do right now is I want to simply remind you of something that this is where in the silence that our hope is born. You see, in Matthew chapter 28, the gospel of Matthew says this. It says, now after the Sabbath, as it began, it dawned toward the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and he came and he rolled away the stone and he sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and like clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for the fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. How many times, church, have we heard that over the last month? Do not be afraid. Can I tell you that I want to tell you today, don't be afraid. But what I'm telling you, don't be afraid, has nothing to do with COVID-19. The reason that we don't need to be fearful is because of the hope we have of what this angel said next. He said, don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. But he is not there. Church, he's still not there. He's still not in a tomb. He's still not in the grave. And the angel goes on to say, for he has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he was laying. He's not there anymore. In church, this is how we find hope in the midst of this chaos. This is how we find hope in the middle of this storm, that our hope is not in our earthly circumstances, but our hope is in our eternal glory that we have through the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is the only reason we celebrate Easter today. And so my disclaimer is this. I didn't come to you this morning to try to sell you on Jesus. I didn't come to try to tell you or talk you in to giving your heart and your life to him. That's not the purpose of today because what God has laid on my heart is I, my job is to trust him in that. 
I'm not here to sell you today on Jesus because I want to walk through what the scripture says. And here's how Paul ends all of this. He says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of the, and the power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, many of you are listening today and you've never surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. And maybe this is the clearest you've ever heard the Spirit of God knocking on your heart's door today. What I want to encourage you today is to surrender to that knocking. Surrender your heart and your life to Jesus Christ so you can be reconciled back to God because that's God's story. God's story was that he sent his only son to live a life of perfection to absorb your punishment, to absorb my punishment, but to also defeat death, hell, and the grave and to be resurrected so you therefore also could be resurrected through his son, Christ, through his son, Jesus Christ. And so today, church, I want to challenge you to surrender your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for today. God, we know that you are drawing people to you right now. And so, Lord, be with us this morning. Continue to knock on hearts' doors and lead people to open their heart to you today. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.